Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Tonight, we're going to break down the Vikings' 19-13 victory over the Bears on Monday Night Football. Also go over some waiver wire goodness ahead of Week 11. Happy Week 11 now, everybody. I'm talking to you right now at 11.19 Eastern Time in the PM. Just watch this. You know, not great Monday night game, but it got the job done. I, I enjoyed it enough. Football is football, right? And we got, you know, plenty of more games on the way. And the fantasy playoffs are not that far away. So thank you, as always, for tuning in to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. New episodes every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, trying to make you as informed as possible. If we can have a little fun along the way, why not? So without further ado, let's get to this matchup. Captain Kirk Cousins has got the Monday Night Football monkey off his back. There's an awesome uh, office space graphic during this game, you know, showing the guys just beating the crap out of a computer that had uh, Cousins, you know, infamous just winless record on Monday Night Football, was able to get it done in this one. So, good game from Kirk. I mean, completed 25 of 36 passes, 292 yards and an interception. I mean, the interception uh, wasn't exactly great, but Khalil Mack just kind of got him in a nice little zone drop. So, that'll happen. You know, we see a couple games a year where Kirk Cousins just really can't do anything right. You know, it happened that week two against the Colts might have already been another one this year if not expect it moving forward but truly over these past two seasons you know under Gary Kubiak with the you know offense really just going through Dalvin Cook as much as possible we haven't seen Cousins just put up gaudy fantasy numbers because he hasn't had the passing volume but in terms of efficiency truly Kirk Cousins has been playing the best ball of his career over these past two years he always gets all this shit for not performing you know well in the prime time and the big games and all that look I mean he made some of the biggest throws in that win they had over the Saints in the playoffs last year I understand I understand things went crashing down against the uh, 49ers soon afterwards, but just realize Cousins, you know, even if his Vikings tenure hasn't really been the, you know, Super Bowl just goodness that people, I guess, were hoping for when it originally happened, uh, the guy, you know, has been able to make some big time throws over the years. And while we didn't see, you know, any just marvelous plays in this one, still pretty nice touchdown to Adam Thielen that he held him with one, uh, one hand in the back of the end zone. Also, plenty of connections to Justin Jefferson. So, Kirk Cousins, again, he's not going to be someone that's going to be super far up on the radar. Maybe next week, though, again, the uh, Dallas Cowboys is a solid streamer option uh, for sure in that one. But just realize, you know, 36 pass attempts in this game, that's pretty tough to come by usually for him. So I think in uh, matchups where maybe they have a little bit more success running the ball, uh, you know, we're not going to see the same sort of volume. Either way, good game from Kirk. And again, respect the efficiency a little bit. I understand he doesn't have the same, you know, counting numbers as some other guys, but still a pretty solid performance. With this backfield, Dalvin Cook had 30 carries, 4 at 96 scoreless yards. Just couldn't really get going at all. I mean, he had a chunk 36-yard run at one point on a third and one, but got brought back on a hold by Kyle Rudolph. You know, probably wouldn't have had the long run if it wasn't for the hold. So I uh, always got to be careful when we're talking about, you know, these nullified plays. But Dalvin Cook really got going in the fourth quarter, which, hey, you know, he hit 30, 30 uh, rush attempts. Isn't that what the old heads say? You know, you got to get those body blows in first for defense offense up, whatever it was. I mean, we still saw him making dudes miss, you know, just didn't have a ton of rushing room uh, throughout the game. Bears defense is doing a great job. Roquan Smith in particular. Uh, man, you know, halfway through this one, cool stat from PFS own uh, Steve Pelozo, where it was just uh, over, since week six, I believe, Roquan Smith is the fourth highest graded defender in the entire National Football League. So he was out there making a bunch of plays, but, you know, he still did see that vintage Dalvin Cook a time or two in terms of him just, you know, breaking tackles, making something out of nothing. So wasn't a massive blow performance. He's just been kind of hanging week after week after week, but don't get it twisted. You know, other, him and Alvin Kamara are sitting atop the run back rankings for as long as Christian McCaffrey is sidelined. Even once McCaffrey gets back, I mean, I think it's going to be hard to kind of bump those guys out of the top two. So uh, it seemed like at one point Dalvin got hurt. He actually left the field, but I was worried it was a groin. I, it seems like maybe he just got the wind knocked out of him. Either way, came back in afterwards, looked as good as ever. He ended up playing, uh, what was it? 
56 snaps. Amir Abdullah only had three, and Alexander Madison only had three. So unofficial counts. We'll see what it uh, finishes at, but that's pretty good to see him moving forward because Dalvin Cook, you know, while they always make sure to get him plenty of touches, he really hasn't been this guy that's, you know, flirting with that 90% plus snap mark. It did seem like he was that way tonight, and good. You know, you're paying, you want to pay the guy? Like, why not play him on the field as much as possible? And not every team has to be like the Titans and, you know, only play their stud running back on half your offensive snaps. Offense is always going to be better with Dalvin Cook on the field, and, you know, even if he didn't have you know, the huge game that we've grown accustomed to in this one. Uh, still, you know, 96 rushing yards and also caught four passes for another 16 yards there. So anytime we can get this sort of usage, people, we have to go to the well. And remember, uh, when, I'm, when I'm talking about that kind of usage, you know, when you when you consider uh, benching Duke Johnson this upcoming week, because again, it's just so tough to find these running backs that have these sort of every down roles, even in games where they don't, you know, even in games where they don't have the scores and they don't have, you know, the big plays. We got to go back to the well with these guys more weeks than not. Uh, with this Vikings passing game, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen had great games. Uh, Jefferson caught eight of 10 targets, 135 yards, had a 54-yard catch and run that it was a little bit of a blown coverage. Just seemed like more miscommunication than anything. Uh, he kind of found his way uh, up the field in the zone. But, you know, 54 yards showing some true yak ability. I mean, there really isn't anything Jefferson can't do on the field. You know, we've seen the contested uh, ball skills. We've seen just the dripping swagger week after week after week. And the guys also got, you know, the route running and yak ability to boot. So, you know, credit to the Vikings. Vikings, you know, a lot of people gave them kind of crap for the way they handled the Stefan Diggs situation. And Stefan Diggs is anyone's idea of one of the best wide receivers in the league. I mean, I, I think the Vikings would be a better team if they still had Stefan Diggs. But, you know, going from Diggs to Jefferson, about as well as you could have hoped it to go, you know, still. I'm no one's saying Justin Jefferson is better than Stefan Diggs, but just in terms of, you know, how this could have gone with another receiver they drafted and whatnot, I mean, this version of the Vikings offense still looking very lethal, even though they got rid of one of the best wide receivers in the league. Got to give their front office some kudos uh, with that. Adam Thielen caught four of seven targets with 43 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Mentioned the first one, 17 yards, you know, one-hander in the end zone was beautiful. Second one was more on the goal line, had a real nice route and was just able to break outside, get the corner on skates and convert the touchdown. So great game from him. Also saw Kyle Rudolph, four catches, 63 yards, had some nice yak, but did lose a fumble in the first drive of the game. Other than that, nobody had over 20 receiving yards. Uh, only other note I would make is that I think, you know, every time we see a Vikings game in primetime or just in, just in general now, they mention how Chad Beebe is the son of former Buffalo Bills stud Don Beebe. We freaking get it already. You mentioned this every single broadcast. This is becoming the new Chris Hogan plays lacrosse tidbit that you bring up every single time. So it's a fun fact, but guess what? Everyone knows the fun fact. Chill. We get it. The guy's dad was dope chill all right he's a slot receiver for the vikings that you know catches a ball or two every every other couple weeks nothing against chad Beebe. just don't need to hear about his dad every single time he uh, catches a pass in one of these games so now that i got that out of my system let's talk about the chicago bears and really the only person that matters and maybe the entire state of illinois at this point and that is my guy cordero patterson and look you know you can call me flawed you can call me biased because i am the president of the cordero patterson fan club and this is a responsibility i take very seriously came to you guys on the very first podcast of this episode and told you all about, all about that and it was cp's night i absolutely loved it he housed a kick return touchdown because he's the best kick returner of all time everybody i did not say punt returner i said kick returner cordero doesn't do punts you can give that honor to devin hester whoever you wanted to give it to but cordero kick returner goodness i mean when he got this ball just went right up the field to open up the second half 104 yards to the house after that the vikings were trying to kick it anywhere but to their former first round pick so 
I get so sick and tired of, you know, the bus label being thrown out because you really want to hand that out to the greatest kick returner of all time. Someone that entering 2020 was the, was the league's most efficient rusher in NFL history. Someone that because he what? He's a running back that everyone called a wide receiver. Like he gets no credit for now being a running back that can play wide receiver better than a lot of regular wide receivers can. Just the ultimate Swiss Army knife of the NFL. I love watching Cordero Patterson play football. You see him on special teams. The guy's selfless. He's great with fans before the games, after the games. Cordero Patterson makes football teams better, and he has done it throughout his entire career. Sick visor, lines up everywhere. The only team to ever give Cordero Patterson even 60 touches in the season won the Super Bowl. Not saying, just saying. Glad I got that out of my system. Them. You know, this is what happens when the Bears play in prime time. I get pumped and I was happy to see my guy have a big game. Wasn't quite so great on the ground, but you know what? No one was really all that great on the ground. Uh, Cordero had 12 carries for 30 for 30 yards. Ortavis Pierce, three carries, nine yards. Ryan Nall, one carry, zero yards. Did not see much of Lamar Miller. I was kind of expecting Miller to potentially be the lead guy. He has the, you know, most kind of proven three down skill set of these remaining backs, but it ended up being a situation where, you know, Nall played 11 snaps. Ortavis Pierce put, played six. Lamar only had five and Cordero led the way in the backfield with 25 snaps. So he wasn't out there all the time. I mean, no, it was a situation where the Bears only ran the kind of the low 40s of total offensive plays. Uh, Darnell Mooney led all wide receivers and running backs in total snaps. So, uh, you know, it wasn't like Cordero was out there for, you know, 80% plus. I don't think it's going to be a situation where they're going to go back to the well with him. You know, wouldn't be shocked that they take a gander at, a, you know, old friend Jordan Howard or something. But it was an enjoyable experience. I'm so happy uh, Cordero got that kick return touchdown. Uh, great play from him. But, yeah, this running game remains a disaster. Look, going into this game, Jets and the Bears are the only two teams in the league averaging less than one yards, uh, yard before contact. Contact before, uh, per attempt. So just one of these situations where Tariq Cohen couldn't do it, uh, David Montgomery couldn't do it. I don't think anybody can do it in this backfield. So uh, with the receivers, Allen Robinson caught six of nine targets, 43 yards. Anthony Miller, two of seven targets, 28 yards. Nobody else even had over 20 receiving yards. And that would include Darnell Mooney, just two catches for three yards. No downfield shots for Mooney. You know, we've been kind of having him as this sneaky, just waiver ad that you can put out there with some confidence. But, you know, he can be dropping pretty much all leagues if he's not even going to be getting the fantasy friendly air yards that he has most of the time you know with Allen Robinson just a situation where okay nine targets aren't bad but didn't exactly give him too many chances downfield just a lot of design stuff in this one and that was all just short and it seemed gimmicky and it seemed like you know honestly the same kind of stuff that uh, we've seen Nagy doing over the years and I know he gave the play calling duties to laser in this one but didn't exactly you know bring the results they wanted and you know I think Nick Foles deserves some blame for that as well ended up going 15 for 26 106 yards and an interception the interception went off of Anthony Miller's hand but it was, you know, a pretty tall pass. And he also threw another one later in the game where it was on fourth down, had Anthony Miller breaking open deep uh, down the middle. <sighs> It was close. You know, Lewis Riddick was saying on the broadcast that it's a ball that Anthony Miller had to catch on the replay. You know, it seemed like it really went off his fingertips. I like Anthony Miller a lot, so maybe I'm being, you know, a little too easy on the guy, but it did seem to me like two passes that, wow, okay, Miller in the best case scenario world would have come down with it, but also put the ball on the guy. Like he was pretty wide open on uh, both these plays and the fact that it was as hard as it was. Uh, while it would have been nice if Miller would have caught it, you know, it's also a situation where all throughout this year, really since that Falcons game, Foles has struggled uh, to consistently put it on his guys uh, down the field so not great hopefully Foles is okay he got a pretty he got hit really hard in the, at the end of the fourth quarter trying to bring him back and had to be taken off on a stretcher he was sitting up so you know with Trubisky dealing with the shoulder injury it was Tyler Bray's season makes you wonder you know you don't want to play hindsight doctor here and you know what's looking at past quarterback decisions and who teams could have drafted and re-signed you know you look at the Bears Bears team it's, just impo it's impossible to escape the question 
what if they had re-signed Chase Daniel before this season? So I don't know, you know, you know, again, I don't want to be the guy that says, oh, they could have drafted this guy or done that. But, you know, you just wonder what that sort of backup leadership could have brought into this team in their uh, time of trials. So, uh, again, uh, Vikings 19, Bears 13, not the greatest uh, primetime game I've ever seen. But we got Seahawks Cardinals on the way Thursday night, everybody, and some solid primetime games after that. Uh, last thing I would mention, yeah, no, that's about it. So one quick thing, uh, sp- give, shout out to our sponsors, our first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 in their account while using promo code PFF or receive a free PFF, PFF Edge annual subscription. as a $40 value for just $20, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA and Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. All right, everybody, as always, on the Tuesday edition of this podcast, I like to go through some of the top waiver wire options. Now, these are not guys that I'm all recommending. I'm going to talk about what I think about them. But, you know, I've gone through a couple of articles, just kind of the Yahoo, ESPN, who's available, transaction trends, just trying to get, you know, a grip on the guys that I think are going to be popping up, you know, more articles around the week, more discussions, try to get an opinion out on them. So without further ado, let's get going. We got some Miami Dolphins, uh, Salvan Ahmed and Tua Tagovailoa. I'll work on the pronunciation. That's on me. It's my job. We'll get there. I haven't learned how to spell uh, Tua's last name, so I'm getting better. But they got a you know fairly juicy matchup against the Broncos. But I would put the Broncos right in there with the 49ers, where it's a defense that has lost a lot of their great pieces, and they aren't you know nearly as elite as they could be. But they are so well coached that you know when a rookie quarterback coming in, I don't think this is a cake matchup. And for that reason, you know I am not looking to stream uh, Tua this week. I'd much rather go the well you know with the Kirk Cousins or a Matthew Stafford or someone like that, where hey. You know, maybe we ha- we know a little bit more where we're getting there. But with Tua, at this point, you know, he's 3-0 as a starter. He's playing solid turnover-free football, and he's doing what they want him to do, which is just, you know, control the game, don't lose the game, let the defense and run game kind of take over. And, you know, because of this, we've only seen him throw 22, 28, and 25 passes, and he has a combined uh, 15 rushes for 34 yards and zero uh, scores on the ground. So we don't have any rushing floor. We don't have really any passing ceiling. And now it's a situation where, other than Devontae Parker, you know, we got Jakeen Grant, maybe Antonio Callaway, Mike Jusicki playing not as much as he should. There's just not a ton of high-end talent around Tua at this point. So he is not someone I'm looking to stream this week. I don't think you need him on your fantasy football roster uh, in the year 2020. Now, Ahmed... A little more interesting. He ended up playing 77% snaps uh, on Sunday. Had 21 carries and one target. Patrick Laird just 16% snaps. DeAndre Washington at 7% snaps. Jordan Howard's been released, which is a real shame. I hope someone gives him a chance, you know, not because I think he can actually help their football team or anything, but I just want to see this season-long vulture like kind of stat line he's got going. I, I want this to push its limits. I want him to go on the Chiefs, and I want the Chiefs to, you know, run out of bounds at the one-yard line every single drive so we can see how many carries and just how many few yards with also getting touchdowns Jordan Howard can get because this year 28 carries 33 rushing yards four touchdowns one reception negative three yards zero scores so absolute madness from Jordan Howard this year I hope he gets another opportunity but uh, with these Dolphins so Ahmed he's going to be the guy at least in week 11 it seems like maybe if Matt Breida stays out with his hamstring you know he had a questionable tag last week and didn't play it seems like Breida might come back and just be kind of the pass down back but the problem is that Miles Gaskin is uh, you know out at least one more game but 
We haven't gotten any kind of clear ver, uh, word on him, but when the, Rappaport and Schefter originally announced it, it did kind of sound like Brian Flores was saying he's going to miss three games. Not that he's going to miss, you know, more than three games or at least three games, but it seemed like they were indicating three games was the timetable. So maybe I'm wrong on that. Hopefully we get a more update on Gaskin moving forward. But again, I just think this has been a pretty, you know, volatile situation ever since Gaskin has left the picture. And removing Howard from the equation helps, but this was DeAndre Washington's first game in the picture. Could see his role increase. Ahmed's not someone that I'm, you know, trying to use the rest of my fab on because, again, I think his, you know, total touches and just kind of domination of this backfield could end as early as this week. And, you know, best case scenario, probably week 12, maybe week 13, whenever Gaskin is back in the picture. Uh, Jameis Winston uh, is facing the Falcons this week with Drew Brees having multiple broken ribs, and it sounds like he'll be out at least two weeks. So do we go back to Jameis? I don't really think he's a priority ad, everyone. It pains me to say this. I love watching Jameis Winston and play football for better and for worse he makes football better and he's you know one of the more entertaining quarterbacks in the league but you look at the usage from last week and Winston played 32 of 35 second half snaps I mean Taysom Hill he was in there for 15 reps but they were really letting Jameis play the actual quarterback position. So when Sean Payton comes out and says that he's not going to name a starting quarterback, you know, we fully expected to be Jameis Winston out there. But here's the problem. You know, last year when Teddy Bridgewater was their quarterback, they really used less Taysom Hill than normal. And Sean Payton even said about that, that, you know, with Teddy learning the system, we didn't want to be pulling a minute out of the game. So that's fine. Winston's going to be back there. I'm not saying that Taysom Hill, you know, taking quarterback snaps away is going to be the problem. I think it's going to be Taysom Hill just taking away rush attempts because we saw in this one, you know, as Alvin Kamal and Latavius Murray kind of getting their usual rushing doses, but it was Taysom just getting fed more than usual. And you know what? Unlike last year, you know, with uh, Taysom being really in his last year, he was on last year of his uh, deal, but now Saints have 16.3 million reasons why they should continue to utilize their Swiss Army knife as much as possible. So I guess it's going to be Winston under center, but I think it's going to be more of a run first version of this offense. And even more concerningly, like, look, the reason why Jameis has been such a fancy friendly quarterback is because he loves throwing downfield. And because he's so erratic, I mean, he'll throw interceptions, but interceptions aren't even that bad in fantasy football if it, if it just means that it's going to lead to higher scoring games and more and more pass attempts. So the fact that so many leagues only, you know, penalize an interception by minus one, absolutely wild. You know, again, if we're trying to replicate real life football in fantasy, you would think interceptions would be far more painful than that. But it's the way it is. And because of that, we've seen Jameis, even though, you know, no one's ever really uh, considered him anything close to an elite real life quarterback. He really has been a great fantasy quarterback over the years. But I don't think we're getting that same, same DGAF gunslinger here moving forward because Winston's average target depth in week 10 was 5.1 yards. He has never, his previous single game low was 7.6 yards during his five years with the Buccaneers. So truly two and a half yards lower than his previous single game uh, low. And normally, I mean, he's never finished below 10.8 yards average target depth in the season so I get it this is an incredible small sample size in the second half of a game that they were up in like it wasn't a situation where Winston you know would have been asked to throw downfield that much but like we saw with Teddy in this offense I mean I don't think they really are changing it too much around their backup quarterbacks I think they have their Jubilee system and they're asking the backups to play into that system unless you're Taysom Hill who you know just is the system if you ask Sean Payton I guess so look I'm rooting for Jameis but I just think that we're seeing you know a less gunslinger happy version 
They want to freaking run the ball. And I just think there's going to be a little too much Taysom Hill involved in the overall game plan, not necessarily like quarterback to help Jameis out. So this week, I've been ranked as my QB 19. I believe you can check out my QB ranking article. It'll be up. Uh, it is up today on Tuesday. And yeah, so with Winston, I'm rooting for the guy. I just don't think, you know, in this version of the Saints offense, we're really going to see him put up uh, the sort of fancy numbers that we grew used to seeing in Tampa Bay with this Patriots backfield. So Damian Harris and Rex Burkhead are two kind of popular waiver wire additions ahead of this matchup with the Texans. I would just say, you know, we saw last week with Patriots getting up a lot in the Ravens and Harris ended up playing 55% snaps and got those 22 carries. Like that was his best case scenario. When they can get up multiple scores in games, yeah, they're going to run the piss out of the ball. And that guy's Damian Harris for now. Sony Michelle has been practicing. We don't know what his status is because he's on the, you know, injured reserve list. So they don't have to report his participation. But look, this year, only Nick Chubb has averaged more yards after contact per rush than Sony Michelle. I understand he's disappointed coming out of Georgia. You know, he's really looked pedestrian at times. But before he got hurt this season, we were actually seeing some of the best, you know, film out of Sony Michelle since he's entered the NFL. So Damon Harris hasn't been bad, you know, in that sample. Again, you know, with uh, Sony Michelle being number two in yards after contact per rush among 79 guys, Damon Harris is 18. So they've both been good. But I don't think, you know, Damian has necessarily played so well that they're going to not use a healthy Sony Michelle. And in that case, now now we could be talking about an already messy three-back backfield getting to four-back. So Cam Newton, you know, he's on pace to score 17 freaking rushing touchdowns this year. It's already been hard enough for Harris to get those carries inside the five-yard line. We already need to, you know, just guess when they're going to have this uh, positive game script to get him over that 15-carry mark to begin with. I just don't think it's a situation that's going to, you know, clear out anytime soon without injuries. And we're getting the opposite of injuries. We're getting Sonny Michelle coming back in the picture. So, you know, I am not looking to touch this Patriots backfield with a 10-foot pole as long as everyone remains healthy. Same thing goes with Rex and James White. If one of those guys is out, the other one can put up some big numbers. But when they are together, we've seen this again and again and again. Nothing resembling consistent production. Moving on to another backfield that just doesn't seem to have any sort of, uh, you know, clarity coming anytime soon. That is with the Indianapolis Colts. You know, impressive game last Thursday night for them just uh, yeah romping the Titans uh, good for them on that one but yeah so Naeem Hines went 12 carries 70 yards and one touchdown on the ground also five carries 45 yards and one touchdown receiving so the fact they were up a lot in this game Naeem Hines still uh, kind of dominated the snap share it was impressive to see but look I mean this isn't the first time we've seen Hines have a huge performance and then just not get featured afterwards we'll see what happens in week 11 and beyond but don't forget I mean Hines had that two touchdown performance in week one and everyone signed him and then he had one single touch in week two. So look, just like what this is like when I came here and said after the big Jordan Wilkins game, like, you know, this is this is still a three-back backfield. We can't let one good performance uh, change that fact. It's been a three-back backfield all season. Frank Reich has been a committee coach pretty much his entire career, and, you know, I'm not expecting that to change. So look, these are some talented backs, and even, you know, Jonathan Taylor is probably going to have better days ahead, but if there's anything we know about this Colts backfield now, it's that nobody is going to break free and be that number one guy. So while Naeem Hines is a reasonable guy to have, uh, you know, on your fantasy bench. Again, it's going to be a situation where we're going to have to be really uh, careful because, you know, the wrong game script and he's going to be one of the lower floor guys out there. So, no, I don't think Naeem Hines is someone that you need to chase and be expecting, you know, take over as this lead back in Indy. Another guy with the Colts is rookie wide receiver Michael Pittman. So he had, you know, that huge seven catch, 101 yards uh, in no score game that last Thursday night. But I would just say, I mean, make sure you go back and watch those highlights because while he looked pretty good running, uh, you know, free in the open field, the really big catch and run where everyone's, you know, tweeting, oh, look at Michael Pittman. Here comes the breakout game. Like literally nobody guarded him. And he just caught a crosser and ran, you know, 40, 45 yards down inside the 10 yard line. So, yeah, you know, he looks good when nobody guards him. And I'm not saying he didn't have some nice catches in that game. 
game. But to me, just watching that, a lot of the production just seemed to kind of be more just because the Titans didn't know what they were doing and less of Michael Pittman just really emerging as the true alpha number one in Indy. No wide receiver has been able to do anything in this offense all season long. I mean, Marcus Johnson had 108 yards in week six. And then, like I said, Pittman had 170 yards last week. Those are the only two times all season that a wide receiver from the Colts has had over 75 receiving yards. So look, with the Colts, Rivers wants to spread it out. He spreads it out to all his positions. I just don't think Pittman's going to, you know, be getting enough consistent target share here moving forward to just have anything resembling, uh, you know, just high-end production. With T. Higgins and the Bengals, I mean, look, we saw like a similar usage shift here, and it's good. Pittman is now starting firmly in three wide receiver sets with Marcus Johnson out of the picture. So we kind of got that T. Higgins, that Justin Jefferson usage bump, but the difference is that, you know, Justin Jefferson is the clear-cut number two wide receiver, two clear-cut number two pass game option in his offense. Higgins isn't, but he's at least in, you know, an offense where Burrow has the most dropbacks in the league. Pittman is unfortunately still in a muddled, you know, pecking order and is in more of a run first offense. So I just don't think really any pass catcher from the Colts is worth uh, the time of day here moving forward in 2020. We'll talk about Kalen Balazs here facing the Jets. Chargers RB1 over these past few weeks. So I do think that Kalen Balazs is probably the uh, fancy RB to prioritize in the waiver wire this week. And, you know, hey, just another guy that got away from Adam Gase and is uh, going on and balling out like we always uh, thought he maybe could. But don't think of Kalen Balazs as the guy that averaged, you know, 2.3 yards per carry or whatever the awful mark was uh, in those Miami days. I mean, look, he's six foot two, 228 pounds, 446 40-yard dash. He is a big, fast Dude, and he has the trust of this Chargers coaching staff. 73% snaps last week, 18 carries, six targets. You know, week one, two, superstar Joshua Kelly at 27% snaps, seven carries, zero targets. Justin Jackson's, you know, on the IR with this knee injury. Troy Main Pope is someone that we saw pop up a couple weeks ago, but, you know, we saw him active for this game, but he just didn't even have a snap uh, to his name. So he's out of the concussion protocol, but apparently they are happy having Kalen Balaz be out there. So Eckler, you know, he came out and tweeted last Thursday to all my fantasy owners that didn't drop me the time draws near he put a skull emoji out there people i mean eckler's trying to talk to us but apparently on his twitch stream he also said that he hopes to be back by week 13 so i'm worried about you know ahmed maybe being irrelevant as early as this week wayne gallman's got a buy this week cam makers in a crowded uh committee colts and patriots crowd committees i think kalen balaj is the one guy in the waiver wire this week potentially that could give you uh not just one but two maybe even three weeks as you know a legit rb2 so not someone i'm gonna go crazy about ranking the top 10 or 12 or anything like that but I do think uh, you know Kalen Balazs with this sort of usage and against you know a Jets team that we're certainly expecting the Chargers to run up points on the scoreboard against we can't treat him as the legit top 20 option at the position in week 11 and potentially a week or two beyond. Also, we'll talk about Sammy Watkins real quick. It does seem like coming out of the bye that he is going to be able to return from this hamstring injury that's had him sidelined for quite some time. So Sammy, you know, started off the year as he always does. Balls out in week one in the playoffs, and that's about it. Seven catches, 82 yards in the score. Nothing over 65 yards after that. Uh, but, you know, as we saw in the playoffs last year, he's out there all the time. They trust him, you know, on the field as much as Tyreek Hill. And we want guys in this Chiefs offense. So obviously, you know, Sammy... He's going to be anyone's idea of an upside wide receiver three, more weeks than not, nothing more than that, even after big games. You know, we've seen this same same old song and dance out of him, hard to trust. But, hey, you know, it's still a situation where we've seen really out of the last uh, eight games from Sammy, if you include the playoffs from last year, which I don't know why we shouldn't. It's, you know, the highest level of football we could ever ask for. Sammy hasn't put up some solid numbers. So, again, you know, he's probably free out there, I imagine, you know, unless your league has a bunch of IR spots. People haven't really been going out of their way to hoard uh, Sammy Watkins on their bench. But, 
you could do worse than someone that's going to be the potential number three pass game option in this Chiefs offense uh, more weeks than not. Unfortunately, this does mean this should be the end of a Miko Hardman season. So I just want to point out, you know, Miko was one of the guys I, I missed on with, you know, just really being a little overconfident on him in the preseason. And yeah, you know, I was chasing the talent over opportunity. It's worked out mostly with uh, AJ Brown, not so much with Miko Hardman, but truly like just don't be the guy that says Miko Hardman sucks. If you want to say, hey, you can't run block well enough to earn a consistent spot in this offense and they just already have so much speed, you can make a nuanced argument about it. I understand that. But Miko Hardman last year was number one in the NFL with 13.1 yards per target. In 2020, he's number three in the NFL with 12 yards per target. So you throw the ball to Miko Hardman, good things happen. Good things have always happened when they try to get Miko Hardman more involved. A couple of Packers receivers now. We got Marquez Ball scaling and Alan Lazard uh, facing the Colts. So, look, MVS, week one, four catches, 96 yards in the score. Week two, three catches, 64 yards. Then he had five straight games with fewer than 50 uh, yards and zero scores. And then over these last two weeks, he's had two catches, 53 yards, and two touchdowns. And most recently, four catches for 149 yards and a score. He's played 80% of snaps in every game since week three. Like, his role did not change with or without Devontae Adams. He's always been out there. He is their outside field stretching wide receiver. It's a boomer bust roll. You know, these targets down the field are real volatile. We can't project, project, you know, any sort of just week-to-week consistency with it. And that's exactly what we've seen all season. So I think, you know, it's going to be even more busty once Lazard gets back in the picture. We've seen Rodgers, you know, prioritize him as, you know, their true number two wide receiver in the offense. I mean, when Adams went down, Lazard had that huge game against the Saints where he was the one getting all the extra targets and the extra opportunity. They really just haven't moved the MVS out of that field or such a role. And why should they? You know, he's a big, fast dude. And as we've seen, you know, over the past two weeks, he is starting to maybe grow some more chemistry with Rodgers. So kind of just like Sammy Watkins, you know, there's no reason why you can't have someone like MVS uh, on your bench because, hey, we want, you know, guys in these awesome offenses. But li- also like Watkins, you know, there is a, a reason why we haven't seen the sort of consistent production from these guys over the years, even though they've already had these roles. Uh, realize that, you know, we're probably not seeing, you know, a come to Jesus moment from either of these dudes in terms of just, you know, real consistent production on the way. I would prioritize, honestly, Alan Lazard. He hasn't been able to get back from this uh, core injury here but you know it seems like he's super close at this point and even if it takes a week with the snaps I do think Lazar is the guy more likely to give us consistent production down the stretch uh, three more situations to break down everybody thank you as always for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast so Wayne Gallman has scored five touchdowns in their last four games despite not playing 60% snaps in a game. You know, I've been pretty just bearish on the guy throughout this uh, kind of process because we saw Saquon struggling enough before he got injured behind this just horrendous offensive line, you know, and a pretty rough just offense overall with the Clapper doing his thing. And, you know, after him, Devontae Freeman came in and he was kind of commanding it and then he was really commanding it and then he got hurt. And since then, we've seen Wayne Gallman be the lead guy, but Alfred Morris has now gotten in, taking some early down work as well and Deion Lewis continues to get past down work throughout all this so it's been a three back backfield ever since Devontae Freeman got hurt Gallman's just been getting you know not lucky per se I mean he's looking good out there I think he has looked like the best uh you know non-Saquon running back in this backfield all season so I don't want to say lucky but he has been you know more touchdown dependent than I think uh, people realize you know with his performance and again not uh, reaching that even 60% snap uh threshold in the game so not someone I'm overly prioritizing but hey you know Freeman re-aggravated that ankle. He's back on the injured reserve list for at least, uh, you know, another two weeks. So Wayne Gallman certainly could be, you know, in that low-end RB2 conversation when the Giants take on the Bengals in week 12. Not a bad guy to stash and try to get ahead on that. 
We have Jalen Ragers and the Eagles taking on the Browns this week. Might be the third straight game in Cleveland that just is just a weather mess. It doesn't seem like as bad as the past few weeks, but early week forecasts are, you know, showing some wind and precipitation. So freaking Baker Mayfield and company cannot catch a break. So maybe not the game, you know, we'll be looking to prioritize these Eagles wide receivers. But in the first game back with Jeffrey, we did see some, you know, interesting takeaways. And that was Rager leading the way with 88% snaps. Fulgham was there as well with 88%. Greg Ward, 63%. Alshon all the way down 27%. This is what we wanted to see. Fulgham has been the best wide receiver for the Eagles this whole season. Don't freaking take him off the field for Dusty Alshon Jeffrey, and they did not. So that's great to see. But Rager was one of the team high seven targets. We saw Ward and Goddard with six, Rodgers and Fulgham with five. So. Look, I would not be shocked at all if Rager leads the way the rest of the year. You know, in this Eagles offense, I know Carson Wentz hasn't been, uh, you know, holding up his end in the bargain here more times than not throughout the season. And now he's not even running as much as we saw from before. So Carson Wentz not being, you know, the great fancy asset that some of us hoped that he could be in 2020. But we still see them putting up, you know, at least over 200 passing yards. And we see all throughout the league, you know, even bad offenses can support one or two fancy relevant wide receivers. So, no, I don't think Rager or even Fulgham at this point are going to be cracking the top. 24 wide receivers anytime soon but uh, you know I do think they are pretty much cemented as the top two guys in Carson Wentz's pecking order and I'm not afraid to you know pick up that guy and hope for some you know upside wide receiver three goodness down the stretch last situation to talk about is this Rams backfield so Cam Akers got the first carry of last week ended up getting a team high 10 carries and a team low 26% snaps we saw Malcolm Brown get 41% snaps six carries two targets Daryl Henderson 33% snaps seven carries and one target so look Clearly, they don't trust Cam Akers in the passing game. Malcolm Brown's their guy. They, you know, if they get into the goal line situation and they have time to, you know, substitute someone, they usually put Malcolm Brown in for just those short yardage situations. Uh, even if Henderson will still get some as well. Again, just it's not helping matters because Brown isn't going anywhere. They trust him too much, and he's taken away not only the fancy friendly pass down snaps sometimes, but also those goal line situations. So this is pretty much the three headed committee from hell. We were th- we were talking about last week this, you know, potentially being the case coming out of the bye, them getting a is more involved. Honestly, it's, it's like a situation in Baltimore at this point where we don't have the quarterback stealing as many rush attempts or anything, but it's just like almost a rich man's version, if you can call it that, of the Ravens uh, backfield situation because at least these ra- at, at least these Rams running backs are getting all the offenses, you know, opportunities inside the uh, five and 10 yard line. But it's also a situation where Goff, you know, hasn't made a habit of throwing to these guys really all season. And I just think there's such a low kind of touch ceiling at this point, as long as all three guys are staying involved, situation to stay away from. Hey, look, if there's a, uh, you know, injury to anyone, I think we'd see Henderson, uh, Brown, or even, or, or Akers, like any of these guys, if there's an injury to one, they all of a sudden become, you know, kind of borderline. The remaining two guys would each become borderline RB2 plays. But while all three are healthy, not the situation we want to target. That is going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz. You can check me out on Twitter at iHeart. It's I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. Don't forget the Z. Things get weird pretty fast. If you do, I tweet out these episodes every morning and also got some good articles on the way. So thank you, as always, for tuning in. And until next time, take care, everybody. 